0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We are talking about food prices, inflation, and homelessness among Canadian veterans on the show. Also, a new strategy for Hamilton police. Meet a Guelph family who have ditched their vehicle for a bike, and we speak to a Hamilton teenager who's putting a capital E in entrepreneurship. The JMH podcast begins now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Inflation, I mean, it's going the right way, was at 8.1%. Last June, June of 2022, it's fallen to 2.8% this past June. So we're going in the right direction. But the question that we're all asking ourselves as we go to the grocery store, whatever your favorite grocery store is, and you're filling your basket or your cart, I mean, if for me, I don't even take a shopping cart around anymore. I just grab one of those handheld baskets because I know just one of those is going to be 80 90 $100 plus. Which brings us to the question, with inflation going down, what's going on with grocery prices? Why are they not falling as well? It's still 9% more expensive today than it was a year ago when you're going to the grocery store. Michael Von Massow is the OAC Chair in Food System Leadership and an Associate Professor of Food Agriculture and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph, and he writes about this in theconversation.com. The headline, Inflation is Down Overall, So Why Are My Grocery Bills Still Going Up? Michael, welcome to the show, and that is a great question, by the way.
2: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: So you wrote, the gap between general inflation and food prices is puzzling. So... Can you piece this together for us? What is happening?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's puzzling for many Canadians who are saying, "Well, you know, we're seeing inflation come down. We're not seeing uh, we're not seeing inflation come down." And and the first the first thing I think that's important to remember is that food inflation is caused by different factors than than general inflation. And the second thing to consider is that what we hear is the bank of canada's interest rate policy is supposed to help bring inflation down but the the whole objective there is with 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 interest rates going up we have uh saving going up it's more expensive to borrow money that's supposed to bring demand down but the the demand for foods not that flexible it's it's de- you know we can't we can defer the a purchase of a new computer. We can defer the purchase of a new car, other things like that. We can't defer groceries for tomorrow. A- and so interest rates don't affect demand that much. A- and so that's why it's really sort of independent uh, of, of some of the other factors that we're using to control inflation.
0: So what factors are continuing to fuel food inflation?
2: Well, I mean, the reality rick is we have this sort of perfect storm of factors that are affecting uh, uh that are affecting food prices and i'll and i'll give you the sort of i think the three biggest ones the war in ukraine uh, is important it's affecting uh wheat prices uh, because uh, ukraine is is exporting less wheat uh, and vegetable oil prices ukraine is a big uh, exporter of sunflower oil and it's uh, and its substitutes the second thing is extreme weather events. And, and we're seeing that they're more, more frequent and more extreme. Uh, we saw it this winter with flooding in the Salinas Valley. We've seen droughts, uh, all sorts of things going on that are that are affecting production and reducing supply. Economics 101 mean prices go up. And to a lesser degree, but more over the past winter, we saw a weaker Canadian dollar uh, when we're buying things in the wintertime. Uh, in American dollars, a weaker Canadian dollar means those prices go up here in, in Canada as well. So those are, are the three big ones. There remain others uh, that, that are that are causing pressure upwards on prices.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Michael von Massow, the OAC Chair in Food System Leadership and an Associate Professor of Food Agriculture and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. He's written about rising food prices, rising grocery prices in the Conversation.com. Check it out, the headline, Inflation is Down Overall, Sir, so Why Are My Grocery Bills Still Going Up? A, a question that all Canadians are still asking themselves. What about competition? Because we've heard time and time again, Canada needs more competition in the grocery industry. Why hasn't that happened yet?
2: Well, I think there are a couple of factors. Uh, the, the the first thing I'll say is, to a degree, it has. Maybe just not recently. Uh, Walmart has been in the grocery business in Canada for less than ten years. Uh, Twenty years. Uh, Costco has come in, so we have other players who've who've captured some market share. So so competition has factored. The other thing that I think it's important to remember is the trade-off as these companies get bigger, they get more efficient. So if we don't allow them to get bigger or we break them up, we have the potential to lose some of those economies of scale. Um, you know, if you think about, uh, what we've seen here in Ontario, uh, uh Sobeys bought, uh, Longos and farm boy and right in their announcements, they say that allows us to leverage logistics. It allows us to re, uh to leverage distribution and purchasing so these companies get bigger they can buy better they can distribute better uh, that gives them a competitive advantage so if we break them up uh, if we uh, reduce the amount uh, that they can grow we may lose some of those benefits of uh, of of efficiency so i'm not saying we shouldn't do it but what i'm saying is I think we should be sure we know what we're going to get. You know, quite often we do policy as ready, fire, aim, and, and we do something and then figure out it's not going to work exactly as we think. I'd I'd say we need to do some more in-depth analysis before we go down that path.
0: That makes sense. We're with the University of Guelph professor Michael von Massow on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML talking about our rising grocery prices. In our previous segment with McMaster University business professor Marvin Ryder, we talked about the summer of strikes, one of which being or affecting employees at metro stores does that have an impact on food prices going forward because if those workers get more money i would assume that the companies running these stores are going to say oh we're going to have to jack up prices a bit
2: well yeah it, you're you're exact you're exactly right uh, any time costs go up and we know costs go up uh, so not just costs of food go up but the overhead costs real estate labor and those sorts of things go up it's going to put upward pressure on prices for uh for, uh, food as well. Now, if, if it's unique to Metro Metro might have to, uh, absorb some of those because, uh, despite there being not very many companies, there's still quite fierce competition and people do shot, you know, they look at flyers, they, they, they price compare places, offer price matching. So it'll be tough if it's only Metro. Uh, but yeah, anything like strikes uh, and, and other factors will put upward pressure on prices.
0: That makes sense. Michael, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, well, thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. That's Michael Von Masso. He's the
0: OAC Chair in Food System Leadership and an Associate Professor of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. Check out his article online. Theconversation.com is the website. The headline, Inflation is Down Overall, So Why Are My Grocery Bills... Still going up. Yes, it's a question that all Canadians continue to ask themselves.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: It is the summer of strikes, not only in Canada, but in the U.S. So let me explain here. We have the the port workers who are on strike in B.C., although it seems like they have a tentative deal again. Uh, Metro workers here in Ontario are on strike. Not all metro stores, but some of them, including some down the highway just in Brantford. And uh, let's not forget the actors and the writer strikes that are ongoing in Hollywood. We'll have an update on that coming up in entertainment. But these these strikes, these, this wave of strikes couldn't have a big impact or a bigger impact on other sectors of our economy. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Mr. Ryder, good morning. How are you?
3: I'm just fine, thank you, Rick. Glad to be with you.
0: Is there something in the water with all these strikes?
3: (laughs) Not in the water, but in the economy, (laughs) Rick. Uh, First, if you don't mind, let me add two more to your list. National Steel Car here in Hamilton. Uh, The workers there have been on strike for the last two months. No end in sight. 1,700 people affected. And here's one that you're going to love. Uh, The workers for the city of Hamilton are in a strike position. Now, they are still negotiating at this point, but because both sides are far away, it is quite possible that before the summer is out, those workers will go on strike. That could affect things like garbage collection. So what's what's going on in the economy, of course, is that inflation. Now, even though inflation is coming down and it's getting into a more reasonable range for the last year and a half, that has been the number one economic story. So workers who have these kinds of contracts are expecting catch-up. In other words, uh, we we need some compensation for what we've been through. Everything is more expensive. How can we afford it? And so they're looking for more that way. Just, again, to put a fine point on it, with the metro strike, uh, many workers remember that during COVID they were given a $2 an hour boost. I think at the time we called it a hero a boost for continuing to work and providing an essential service. Of course, that came to an end, the $2.00. Per hour was removed. And basically, metro workers are saying, we want that $2 an hour back because of the cost of inflation. So this is the common thread.
0: Have we seen something to this degree before?
3: Yes. Uh, actually, if you go back into the 1970s and, and early 1980s, uh, we saw a lot of these kinds of union uh, negotiations all demanding bigger raises because of inflation. And then when they got the raises. That pushed inflation a little higher. And and for a brief period of time in both Canada and the United States, the government instituted what they called wage and price controls, where they capped the maximum because they felt things were just getting out of control. The demands were just getting to be too much. Now, for the moment, that's not happening. And I think, again, um, most, most reasonable people would say it's not wrong to ask for a little ketchup. But take, again, the example of the metro stores. Um, they are looking at a four year contract. Well, over the four years, inflation isn't going to remain at, at 8% It is going to come down to something much more reasonable. So some catch up is fine, but also let's be be reasonable. And this is also where the employers are, are saying, gosh, you know, I, I'm not sure we should be looking at a 4% raise three years from now, inflation won't be like that. Again, the problem is that many of these grocery stores have been putting out excessive profits. And so the workers are saying, wait a minute, where's our share? This is what leads to that joyous collective bargaining process.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. We're talking about the numerous strikes or strike actions or threaten, even threatening to strike for uh, for some sectors uh, in uh, our city and beyond. And, and to that effect, because we have so many different sectors from grocery stores to um, uh, corporations like the city of Hamilton, what is the impact on all the other sectors who potentially are not going on strike?
3: Uh, well, they're watching with interest. And so, uh, again, uh, whoever you are, if, if you have a job and uh, you might be a unionized worker, you're going to see what these settlements are like. And then you're hoping that becomes a template for your own Uh, Now, it's not all about money. So you also had mentioned the actor strike there. The concern is more about technology, um, artificial intelligence, where uh, studios might not employ actors. They might just use computer animation to take their jobs away. So they're looking for some guarantees that way. They're also looking for, again, I suppose it's money, but it's alternate revenue sources as more and more of us are not watching television Uh, but we're streaming, using these streaming services, they want to make sure they get their royalties from those as well. So there are different issues involved, but for those that are strictly about uh, making more money, economic uh, issues, that becomes a template for others when they enter their negotiations.
0: One more question for you. We know that inflation last month or in June was 2.8%, way down from 8.1% in June of 2022. Are companies saying, hey, listen, inflation is going down. We'll just wait it out for another, I don't know, the the next reading for the Bank of Canada, and then we'll continue our negotiations based on lower inflation. And we'll we'll point to the unions to say, well, inflation's going down, so you got to come back down to what we're offering you.
3: Right. And this is why these negotiations can go on for as long as they are and actually lead to the strikes. The company is saying, we're we're fine giving you some catch up for the year that just passed, but then going two years down the road, three years down the road to expect a 4% or 5% increase. That's just not in the cards. Now, the workers, on the other hand, say, but what if the Bank of Canada can't achieve what it wants to do? What if it stays high? Remember, they've been raising these interest rates because they're Worried that inflation is going to remain high, and we haven't quite broken the back of all inflation out there. So, uh, again, it's decision making in the face of uncertainty. Nobody knows exactly what the economy is going to look at down the road. If I'm a union negotiator, I want to turn to my workers and say, I got you the best deal possible uh, under these circumstances. And if the economy, for whatever reason, got hot again and inflation started to go up, oh, look, we've protected you over these next three years with our deal. So, This is why these negotiations are as difficult as they are, and uh, both sides uh, uh, sort of dig in their heels. I I would also note that summertime is not a great time to negotiate, because if there is a strike, people are kind of enjoying being out on the picket lines. (laughs) I'm always amazed at how many of these strikes get settled when we have the first snowstorm of the year.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we need some of that to roll in, but uh, in a few months' time. Uh, Marvin, always appreciate your time.
3: Glad to be with you
0: Rick. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the Grooth School of Business at McMaster University offering his thoughts on the summer of strikes.
3: You're listening to
1: the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A lot of people need a lot of help these days whether it's higher inflation even though it's come down a bit it's still too high for many, food prices still sky high and it's no surprise that more and more people are finding themselves in encampments whether it's in Hamilton or elsewhere. And now there's new research out from McGill University that shows veterans in Canada, yes, our war veterans, are two to three times more likely to experience homelessness. What the heck? What the heck is going on? Unmul Gupta is a Master of Public Policy graduate of McGill University's Max Bell School for Public Policy and is currently a Doctor of Medicine candidate in the United States. Unmul joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mr. Gupta, good morning. How are you?
4: Nice to meet you, Rick. Thanks for having me this morning.
0: What is happening to our veterans? How are they ending up homeless?
4: Yeah, it's a big challenge that we need to be looking at here in Canada. Um, And I think there's a lot of pathways that veterans are facing that lead them down to finding themselves in precarious housing situations or finding themselves living on the streets. Um, But I think the biggest challenge with this issue of veteran homelessness is that we don't really understand the issue very well. We don't first, don't even know how many veterans across Canada are experiencing homelessness. You know, estimates that we found in our research in creating this report range from as low as 2,400 to over 10,000. And sort of the pathways to veterans experiencing homelessness are quite diverse. Um, and many aren't experiencing homelessness just when they leave the service, but sometimes several years after. And so I think one of the things that we tried to highlight in the report is this the need for more research and more study on this issue. Because if we don't know how veterans are getting to become homeless and we don't know how many are becoming homeless, then it's really hard to create targeted policy solutions for this big challenge.
0: Absolutely. You and your group were also tasked by the Office of the Federal Housing Advocate to answer the question, what federal policies and programs are needed to ensure meaningful reductions in veteran homelessness and advance the right to adequate housing for all veterans in Canada? So what is needed?
4: Yeah, that's a it was a big question for us to tackle. But over the past eight to nine months, we've had the opportunity to, to do a lot of research and to talk with a lot of uh, interested stakeholders, organizations that are working with veterans on the ground to understand what is needed. So in the report, we came up with sort of big uh, five big policy objectives. Um, And I'll I'll quickly run through them. So the the first objective was we found that there needs to be sort of leadership at the federal level on this issue. Currently, when it comes to housing and veterans, it's a very siloed issue. You have certain federal departments and agencies working on the issues of housing. All your listeners are going to be aware of the sort of housing situation that we're experiencing across Canada. But then we have other federal departments and agencies that are responsible for the care of veterans. And we found that these departments aren't really working together uh, to create a targeted solution for this group. The second point is sort of what I touched on earlier about the issue of data. We really need better data to understand uh, this issue. And then our last three policy objectives are looking at what can we do to help veterans who are going to be experiencing homelessness tonight. Uh, So looking at um, pathways to getting veterans into housing supports and so we looked at programs in the US uh, and in other jurisdictions to create a program um, that can get veterans into homes uh, rapidly and we also looked at what Canada is doing with our refugee population. There's a lot to be learned there. Um, we also looked at ways to actually increase uh, the building of homes specifically for veterans. The one thing that we learned is that there's no one housing solutions that's going to work for all Canadians. and Veterans in particular need certain things uh, in their homes uh, for them to feel comfortable and for it to be a successful environment for the long term.
0: We got about. Um, and then
4: lastly, we wanted to look at the transition for when people are living, leaving the military to reduce those risk factors.
0: So we got about uh, 90 seconds. What is the go forward plan? Now
4: that we've done all this research, how do we correct this problem? Exactly. You know, I think the federal government recently released a program uh, in May on veteran homelessness. And I think there's a lot of. Uh, first steps and right directions in that um, uh, policy. Um, But what we found is that a lot of the onus is being placed on the NGOs and and those groups on the ground. And so I think really we need the federal government to take leadership on this issue. And I think having the federal government, having Veteran Affairs Canada, the the minister responsible for housing really work with these local organizations to better understand the issue um, is the next step that we need. It sounds like a plan to me, and it sounds like a lot
0: of heavy lifting is going to happen before we solve this problem. Unmal, thanks for dissecting it with us. So We'll talk
4: to you down the road for sure. Thanks for having me this morning.
0: Unmal Gupta is a Master of Public Policy graduate, of McMaster of uh, McGill University's Max Bell School of Public Policy, uh, currently a Doctor of Medicine candidate down in the U.S., a really revealing report into veteran homelessness in Canada. You can also check it out on the mcgill.ca website. Website.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900
0: CHML. We tried on Monday. It didn't work. We we tried again yesterday. It just did not happen because of gremlins in the system. So today we thought the third time has got to be the charm. There, th- this issue is too important to pass up and ignore and say, ah, you know, we're not going to do it. This is an important issue because every four years, police services across the province, including Hamilton Police, have to develop a strategic plan. And Hamilton Police is now unfurling their plan. And now the Hamilton Police Services Board is inviting you, the public, to review this 2023 and beyond strategic plan. Here to talk about it is Pat Mandy, the chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board. Pat, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning. It's good to be here. We we got, we got, we finally made it happen. We did. Pat, I appreciate you <laughs> agreeing to come back on the show today. Um, what priorities are included in this strategic plan?
5: Okay, well, uh, it, it, it's a variety of answers there, but um, what I'd like to do is just talk about how we got to those priorities because what we did over the last year the board and staff uh, uh, did a lot of surveying, did environmental scans looking at best practice not only um, in Hamilton across the province and um, but then also did a lot of consultation from the community to learn what their priorities are so the um, some of the priorities from the community uh, what we heard back from them was things about uh, about traffic, um, concerns about property crime, violent crime, guns and gangs, traffic safety, and domestic violence. But we also went um, then looking at the specific crimes, but to learn from the community what's important from them. So there were uh, a large number of focus groups of a variety of communities, whether it was ethnic, um, uh, minority groups, Uh, other groups, feedback, surveys uh, online, uh, surveys throughout the service. There were over 660 uh, responses from uh, staff within the service. Uh, There were uh, town halls. And in that feedback was where we got our broader goals and what's important um, to the service and the public about going forward and making sure that we can keep the the community is safe, not only safe, but feel safe. So the broader, the higher level priorities um, are looking at, first of all, community safety, but then looking at how we can work with partners in the community. The police um, often become the default uh, whenever there's an issue, but there are so many other partners that can actually have better skills or better resources to deal with the issues. So there's been a strong focus on collaborative engagement. The other thing is looking at um, culture and capacity. And within that, it's looking at what are emerging uh, um, crime trends. How will we deal with them as we go forward? There's uh, more demand in some areas. um, And uh, how do we share our communication with the, with the community to make sure that they're where I think there are so many amazing things that the uh, service does with volunteerism and working with the community that goes unrecognized. The other thing is making sure that we have the assets, the current um, abilities and technology to keep up with crime trends. And I think one of the big ones, and we've not seen this before, is looking at, um, building more trust and stronger relationships between the uh the service the police and the the, the community the um there's been so many uh you know uh, things in the in the the media that uh, uh, have talked about difficulties there is also uh, been history there's been systemic history um, that have uh, uh, made some uh some sectors, some minorities, some um, uh, fear, fear dealing with police. And so there's a concerted effort there to reach out, work with folks to help that.
0: That's a great breakdown of the strategic plan that Hamilton Police are now looking at, and we're in discussion with Pat Mandy, the Chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board. Pat, we got a couple of minutes I want to ask you about because there's been a lot of discussion about defunding the police, which now I'm one hundred percent against, but also detasking
5: as well. Is that at all included in the strategic plan? That's part of looking at what are what are our priorities and what can we do working with with our partners for to having the right people? Um, doing the the job or the particular activity. As I said, there's uh, uh, a lot of times it's default. We're the only ones that are 24 hours availability. And although uh, we're looking at service and uh, increasing skills of officers, there's many things that could probably better be responded to uh, by other organizations. There is, a the police are working with a large number of organizations, housing, uh, uh, paramedics um, the um, uh, Indian Center, uh, a number of them to look at who might better do some of the tasks or how can they work with folks to prevent an amazing uh, social navigator program that helps deal with people before. Um, they get into two problems that in, that uh, the police actually do need to deal with. So there are there are many things that other people that other services could do better or as well to serve the public. Well,
0: there's certainly as you've just listed a number of. Challenges and obstacles ahead, but a lot of opportunity as well for Hamilton Police to connect with uh, the city and and continue to keep uh, each and everyone here in this city safe. Pat, I'm glad we finally connected. Thanks for the time today and enjoy your day. Thank you. Pat Mandy is the chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Tell you who's A-OK, at least I think they are, is a family of four in Guelph. After they said, you know what we got to do? We got to ditch the family vehicle and replace it with an electric cargo bike. That's what our next guest did. He and his family have done a 180. And we want to know why. Cam Ogilvie is his name. Cam joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Cam, good morning.
6: How are you? I'm, I'm well. How are you this morning?
0: I'm good. All right. Take us through the thought process. You and your significant other are sitting down. you got two young kids and you think, you know what? You got to get rid of the family vehicle and go with a bike. Like, what? What's going on there?
6: Well, I got to say, part of it was because of the pandemic. You know, we were sitting at home; our car was sitting in the parking spot, and we were going, "Do we really need this around?" Uh, we were already a a pretty active family, um, cycling a fair bit, and uh, I'd certainly drunk the Kool Aid a whole lot sooner. I had worked at a bike shop when I was a teenager, um, but it was it was a little bit more. Uh, to to wrap your head around for for my wife Sonia Um, and honestly this is really I think more her story than it is mine her uh, she's a full-time mom and if we were going to ditch the car it was about finding a solution that would still enable her to be free to be able to take the kids around town and we happened to find this box bike and we've loved it
0: Okay, so I, I want to go back to your initial idea. Though. Okay, th- this vehicle is just sitting in the driveway. Like, we're not using it as much as we used to. And you present this idea to Sonia, your wife. What is her first reaction? Like, Cam,
6: are you crazy? <laughs> well, she knows that I'm the kind of person who tends to have, like, 10 ideas before breakfast. <laughs> um, but uh, she she's really steady. And so I knew that if if we were going to actually do this, um, she would need time to be able to experience a little bit. And so she said, you know, Cam, if we're going to do this, what we should do is we should take a couple of months and we should, you know, keep the car parked and live as though we're not using the car. And so that's, that was her way to, you know, kind of ease into this. And after we did that two-month thing, I think it was a summer, July and August, she said, no, this is, this could work.
0: Wow. So when did this all start?
6: Oh, it's going to be three years this fall.
0: So you have gone winters without a vehicle. How has that been with an electric cargo bike with a family of four?
6: (laughs) Well, the the electric cargo bike was a new addition to the family this past March. So to be honest, we haven't done a winter with that. Um, But we've cycled winters for a number of years um, You know, you dress appropriately. It's really not as bad as most people think. I'll just say, leave it at that. Maybe. <laughs> Cam
0: Ogilvie is a Guelph man whose family of four has uh, ditched the car in favor of cycling and is uh, getting around town that way. Uh, so we got the winter question out of the way because that obviously you were unfazed by that. When you're going on a grocery shopping trip... Do you have like a cargo sidecar or something that's trailing behind the bike that you can pack the groceries in? How does the trip to the grocery store work?
6: Yeah, so I guess you got to imagine that there's a couple different kinds of cargo bikes. There's the long tail ones, and then there's the box bike. And we've got a box bike. So just imagine your front wheel is extended out a couple of feet, and there's a box sitting in front of your handlebars. Uh, that box has a bench in it for our kids. And then, you know, past the bench, there's still quite a bit of space there. And so um, my son, Seton, loves to go grocery shopping with me. So we go grocery shopping every Monday. He sits on the bench and we just pack the groceries around. And we've actually had uh, people at the grocery store uh, literally ask if they could sit and watch us pack him into the, uh, into the box. So it, it works. It works. And he enjoys it.
0: How have the kids found it? You, you have two little ones, right?
6: Yes, that's right. Three and a half, eighteen 18 months. Uh, they both love it. Um, you know, it's, it's part of life for them. I don't think they uh, think anything of it. It's not strange to them.
0: Has it brought your family closer together?
6: You know, uh, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily brought our family closer together. Like, we would still be doing things together regardless. I think it has brought us closer Uh, to the outdoors it's brought us closer to our neighbors to our community like it's just a whole lot easier to uh, to be interrupted when you see people uh when when you're out traveling somewhere when you're on a bike rather than you know uh, siloed off inside a metal box so we I'd, i'd say we're much more connected to our community because of that
0: that's a, a great way to put it, for sure. Cam Ogilvy is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Cam and his wife, Sonia, and their two young kids got rid of their family vehicle for, well, a, a life of cycling. They go everywhere on two wheels instead of four. What was the biggest challenge, and what, was it a mental challenge as opposed to a physical one?
6: Hmm. That's a good question. Um... You know, I don't think it was the mental challenge. Um, we're both pretty uh, stubborn people. We'll make something work.
0: Um, it sounds I, like it, Cam. I
6: think, I think some of it was honestly sourcing, sourcing a bike and figuring out where we're going to park it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up buying the bike from a, a shop in Toronto that was importing these from Europe. Um, It had the one that we wanted, but then it was, you know, where are we going to keep this? Uh, We live in a townhouse complex and so we've got a parking space, but we don't have a garage and we can't bring the bike inside our house. It wouldn't really fit that well. Um, So thankfully, we actually were able to talk with our condo board and they approved us to put in some underground bike anchors in our parking spot. And uh, and so that's been our kind of locking up solution is Mm. we now keep it in our bike spot we've got a tarp for it you know it looks like a motorcycle pretty well
0: nice last one for you we have got about a minute and i want to go back to the winter cycling kind of season guelph is known to get its fair share of storms is it easy to get around from an accessibility standpoint how easy or hard is it
6: i would say that there are maybe 10 days in the winter time when you don't want to be biking um, otherwise, we honestly have mild enough winters um, and our snow clearance is pretty good that you can ride on the roads and they're quite clear. We'll throw some studded tires on, um, you know, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's I think it's accessible. If if anything, we would just really appreciate more separated infrastructure mm. because, uh, in the winter time, the roads do get a little bit narrower, and uh, when they are just a little bit more slick and a little more narrow, you're a little bit closer to cars. Yeah, that doesn't feel that doesn't feel comfortable.
7: Okay, so imagine. we'd
6: love some more separated infrastructure.
0: Actually, real quick before we go, how much money have you saved?
6: <laughs> I wish I had a number for you there, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, more than half, more than half of what we were spending on a car, I think, is safe to say. Wow,
0: that's that's an awesome story. Cam, good for you. Congratulations. Best of luck going forward on, on two wheels instead of four. Hey, thank you. That is Cam Ogilvie, Guelph man, who's ditched the vehicle and is all in on the cycling scene. What an awesome story that is.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: There's an 18-year-old here in Hamilton. Who thought, you know what, I'm just going to start my own business. Now take that, society and economy and everyone else. I'm going to go on my own. And what started as, well, I'll let him tell the story because he's joined us now. Jacob Shadal is with us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jacob, good morning. How are you?
7: Morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So
0: you're an 18-year-old now, but two years ago... You, I guess, stumbled across a pretty cool business idea. How did this all start and, and, and take us through your story?
7: Yeah. I mean, so before grade 10, I was working on a farm and uh, it was hard labor work, right? And then I was kind of told I needed to pay for school on my own. And I was kind of looking for options to do that. And really the only way would have been to start my own business. And so when I was 16, my mom actually asked me to clean our barbecue at home, and I watched a few YouTube videos, bought some equipment, and then did a surprisingly good job cleaning it. And my mom actually convinced me to use some of the pictures I took to go door knocking up and down the street and see if I could get any business. And then from there, I just kept door knocking and getting new people as much as I could and the business kind of started to grow from there.
0: So when your mom suggested, "Hey, Jacob, you did a great job cleaning our barbecue. You know, maybe you should go door to door." What was your initial reaction?
7: I was uh, a little scared to be honest. It's it's always nerve wracking, even now to go door knocking. But especially when I started and and we had just moved here, I didn't really know anyone up and down the street. Uh, it was definitely definitely scary at first. But once you kind of get the hang of it. it It gets a lot easier.
0: How many no's did you get at the door before you got your first yes?
7: It was actually surprising. So I started up at the the back of the street, and my first person was a yes. Oh, wow. And then I think I went about another 50 houses before getting another yes, (laughs) but I was very surprised that, that the first person was a yes.
0: Wow, that's that's great. So between those two yeses, you got 50 no's. How did you handle that rejection? Because I would assume you somewhat took it personally to say, well, I, I'm I'm not good enough. I can clean your barbecue really well.
7: Yeah. I mean, I get it all the time. Even now, like, I'll have up to – I've had up to 200 people in a row say no. And and it's just all about, like, persevering and, and kind of looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. And I just got to keep – keep my head up i know i don't take anything personally if you don't want my services that's okay uh just got to find the right people and knock at the right time
0: jacob shadel is our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml jacob uh, has started his own cleaning business cleaning barbecues you can find out his business online at shadel that's s-h-a-i-d-l-e cleaning.ca And after getting uh, an initial yes and a bunch of nos and then more yeses, uh, you're off to bigger and better things because now you're pulling in some serious money.
7: Yeah, I've been uh, pretty lucky, actually, to find some good growth in the business. And it's definitely helping Mm -hmm. me out. And I pay for university by myself, which is great, too. And So that's awesome.
0: So is this the go forward plan with you? Are you going to keep doing this for a long, long time? Or are you going to branch out to maybe launching other businesses? What is the plan?
7: Yeah. So right now, uh, I definitely think I'll continue this for the next few years at least. Uh, Right now, I'm looking to hire some people actually kind of closer to Hamilton. I have some people that are working for me in Oakville. And I plan on getting a truck as well, getting some better equipment. Right now, I fit everything into my little Volkswagen Golf, so it, it just fits. <laughs> and um, so I plan to do that as well. And then, obviously, expanding the client basis and, and reaching out to as many people as possible. Well,
0: if anyone who wants to apply to work for Jacob or get their barbecue cleaned, go online to ShadleCleaning.ca. You can Google it as well. Uh, one more question for you. Uh, you got a bunch of no's. You got, you know, a, uh, obviously a lot of yeses as well. How many of the initial no's are now saying yeah? Hey Jacob, we're we're hearing from, you know, neighbors saying you're doing a great job and their barbecue's awesome. We want your services. How many no's have turned into yeses?
7: Yeah, it's funny actually. I had um at least 5 people just yesterday after the story in the news came out that had said no to me before and they were like, "Oh, yeah, do you remember me?" And <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Um, but yeah, I've had about 5 people just yesterday, but it's was, it was pretty funny to see, but it's always always great to get new business.
0: That is awesome. Really quick, what's your advice for other teenagers in your situation who are thinking, maybe I should start my own business?
7: I think that the the hardest part is always starting. And once you get started, once you get a few people saying yes, or a few people agreeing to get your business, then it you get a lot of motivation from just starting and and understanding the freedom that comes with running your own business. So... I'd say just get started, you know, uh, have the confidence to meet new people and be open and be nice and sociable and, and everything kind of works out from there.
0: I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more from Jacob Shadle in the years to come. Jacob, thanks for joining us today. Congratulations on this new business and good luck going forward.
7: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: You too. That's Jacob Shadle from Shadle Cleaning, online shadlecleaning.ca